Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church, a Unitarian Universalist congregation located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are a radically welcoming and progressive religious community, deeply committed to love, justice, spiritual growth, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. that it? I want to sing some more. (laughs) Oh, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good people of First Universalist Church. You know, you all enjoyed so much that story that Reverend Ashley Harness shared last week of the loaves and the fishes that I was inspired for this beginning to take us back to the beginning, which is to say, Genesis. Yes, you're in a Unitarian Universalist church, it's okay. So who can tell me what was the beginning of, in the beginning of the beginning, what does that story say about how man and woman were created? Adam's rib. In God's image, Adam's rib, yeah. Any youth in neighboring faiths here? Okay. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. So let's go to the text. Here's the story that uh, most of you all have heard. This is uh, from Genesis 2. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And then further on, it says, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof and the rib from the rib made he a woman and brought her unto the man. That's one version of the story. There is in that same book an earlier version. Genesis 1, lines 26 and 27 say, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he him. Sorry, created he them. Them. That's interesting. Two creation stories. Did you all know that there were two? Back to back in the same book? And they're pretty 
different. It kind of makes you wonder why we know one instead of the other. It isn't like there's a reason that the world that we live in might prefer a tale of two genders, one derivative of the other, versus the older and more gender-fluid story where humans are made in God's image, male and female, both in God's image, and oh, by the way, referred to in the King James Version of all things with the pronoun they. I guess pronouns mattered even back then. Dear ones, welcome to First Universalist Church. We are a faith community that is not afraid of taking back those old and strong stories and insisting that they are about liberation, not subjugation. That they are about setting us free, not tamping down our fabulousness. We are a faith community that knows that we are at our strongest when we drop our facades of strength and lean into the potent power of our shared human bond. My name is Reverend Arif Mamdani. I am your associate minister, and I am ecstatic to be facilitating worship this morning with Dr. Glenn Thomas Rideout, with Paolo Dubuque, with our friends back in the sound and AV booth making all of the electronic magic happen. Thank you. <laughs> Sylvia is going to be helping me light the chalice in just a moment. We're almost there. We're almost there. In fact, if you want to come hang out here, you can do that, because we're so close. As well as all the many, you know, you can come stand next to me so people can see you. So yeah, come on. There we go. If you want, you can even bring your stool over, because we're sharing leading worship together. How's that? All right. Love it. Take a minute, folks. Take a minute to look around and see the other people that are creating worship this morning with you. This is a thing we do together. And particularly if you got here early and you're sitting in the front, a whole lot of people filled in when you were not watching. Let's not forget the folks up in the balcony, hey? See you all up there? Restraining myself from making the balcony joke? Oh, you all don't remember that one. So you all are pretty cool, but the folks up in the balcony, they're on a whole nother level. I couldn't help it. So let's pause for a minute. Let's gather ourselves before we dive into worship. Almost like we are sprinters taking our place at the starting line. We pause, we place our hands just so at the tape. We take three deep breaths. And off we go. Let's light our chalice and get to the very serious and very joyous business of worship. Will you join me, please, in saying the words for lighting our chalice? Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Thank you. So I've got a, I've got a story for us today. Let me, uh, let me just find myself here. So not long ago, I was visiting one of our folks at Walker Place. And I, I visited with them for a while. I was leaving. I was getting on the elevator. I was dressed more or less like this, but without the stole. Uh, only wear this on Sunday mornings. And I got on the elevator. And as I was uh, going down to the first floor, somebody else got on the elevator. And uh, after a moment of standing in the elevator next to them, they turned to me. And they said, why are you wearing a dress? It's an interesting statement, right? It's, you know, it's a question. And I'm curious, has anyone ever come at you like that? With a question, sort of criticizing? Yeah. 
critique disguised as a question. So for the youth in the sanctuary this morning, how do you think that felt? What does it feel like when someone comes at you like that? Just shout it out. Mean, sad, hurtful, confusing. Uh, did someone say annoying? Yes, thank you. Scary, yeah. Especially in an elevator. There's nowhere to go. Yeah, scary, confusing, sad. My feelings were hurt. I was confused. What are some things that you think I could have said? I'm talking to the youth here first. Because I want to. Yeah. Yeah, what do you think? Is that, is that Luella back there? What are you thinking, Luella? Because I'm going to a bicycle party. Other, uh, yeah. I just wanted to say something. When I heard your story, I heard God created man and man gave birth to God. I heard you say that. So I was confused. Do you make your parents like, <laughs> Archer, I will sit at your feet and learn from you today. Um, what grade are you in? Okay, we are gonna have so much fun when you're in neighboring faiths and even more fun when you're in coming of age. Um, keep asking that question. It's a really good question. Because what you're asking is what came, what came first? Did God come before man? It's kind of like the chicken and the egg. So where did the idea for God come, come from? Did it exist for humans and humans just grabbed hold of it? Or did humans create it? I love that question. Other thoughts about what I could have said? Oh, yeah. Why aren't you? Why aren't you wearing a dress? Yes. What are you thinking, Harry? Because you're not my parent. Because you're not my parent. Any other thoughts about what I could have said? Yeah, what are you thinking? Because I can wear whatever I want. Because I can wear whatever I want. So these are all things that went through my mind as I was in that elevator. Because I can do whatever I want, right? It's my life, not yours. So what do you think I did? I, I missed that. What was that? I have a banana party. That's exactly what I did. So all of these things... All of these things went through my mind, as well as this. So this particular garment that I'm wearing, it's called a kurta. It is um, traditionally worn by my people, but there are garments like it that are worn by people from um, India and across the Middle East and um, into many parts of Africa as well. And I realized that something was happening there for this person, that they were seeing something that was confusing to them, that they didn't know how to relate to, and probably, giving them the benefit of the doubt, this was unsettling in some way. And so I viewed it in that moment as a little bit of an opportunity. I viewed it as a moment to do a little education, to meet them with kindness, to meet them with compassion. And so I did. I turned to them and I explained what I was wearing. And then I said some of the things that you all said. <laughs> Nicely. I'm wearing this because I want to. I'm wearing this because it's comfortable. I'm wearing this because I think it looks pretty fabulous. And secretly, I'm wearing this because I didn't actually want to think about getting dressed this morning. <laughs> and when you put on something like this, and anybody who wears any garment like this, dress, kurta, or otherwise, knows that you are dressed like that, and you're done. Right? Which is itself an amazing thing, and I am very sad for those of you that do not have access to this ability. Secretly, all of you have access to this ability. And so I want to I leave you with that 
knowing. In life, people are going to come at us sometimes. They're going to come at us with expectations. They're going to come at us with this idea of how we are supposed to show up. What I loved is how many of you knew immediately that what other people project onto us, what other people put onto us is not ours to carry. It is theirs. And if we want, we can meet them, we can help them, but we don't need to carry it. We can put it down and just keep going. Or as uh, Taylor Swift says, haters gonna hate, 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 hate. <laughs> I don't know why, but I've always been intrigued by a particular advertisement I learned of, I saw for the first time as a very young child, and it was of a person dressed to the nines at two in the afternoon, in the living room, vacuuming, with heels about this big. They were gorgeous, nude kind of, never mind. They were beautiful shoes. And when I was a kid, before anybody told me that we weren't supposed to do that, I admired, I was astonished at these shoes. You know, I was an Adidas man growing up because in the 90s, uh, when when most of the tennis shoes you could buy for men were maybe two colors, Adidas had purple. And something about the resplendent color available in purple to me opened my mind, opened my heart, and opened up my joy. So it was only a matter of time before in my own first apartment, I made a practice, and I still do this. I still do this today. Y'all, I, um, I vacuum in nude pumps. I do. <laughs> the first time I ever wore those shoes in public um, was an incredibly scary time for me. It was a time where I was testing out 
the world and testing out the church's limits. The Unitarian Universalist Church I was working for said that all were accepted, all were welcome. And so I said, let's try that out. What's the worst that could happen? And I walked into the church with these shoes on. I had a backup pair of flats because I have a wise mother who taught me all I needed to know to go out into the world and survive strongly. But I wore them in through the doors, and interestingly enough, it seemed to surprise no one. It shocked no one. It scandalized no one. One comment I got on the way out. Nice shoes. I was a little disappointed I hadn't made more of a show. <laughs> but from there, I learned in the lesson of community how important it is to hold the truths of our lives together, to be able to bring them into a single space that we can trust and hold, where we can find the characteristics, the details of your life that others might call weird outside of the box. We find them unremarkable, except that they're astonishing because they're on you. I welcome you then into a time of prayer and meditation. What we do in the center of our services is we bring our truths to the space. We say, I'm praying for this. We say, I'm worried about this. We say, this is a joy in my life. I'm happy about this. And we hold it together. In fact, we say that. We say, you are not alone. We are holding it together. In a moment, I'm going to open the circle, and I'm going to ask you to do two things. One, consider if you have a prayer to offer to the circle for us to hold, we would be honored as a community to hold your truth with you. And whether or not you do, here's the second thing. Everybody's responsible for this. Let's get ready to hold some truth, to hold it like the special and beautiful thing that it is. Let's do that because you never know when the details of a life well held can change somebody's spirit and life forever. Don't believe me, just, just ask ten, year, 10 years ago me. Ask my high heels. A life can change right now. And so, my friends, for your prayers, the circle is open. What would you share for us to hold? For fear of presidential elections, we say you are not alone. You are not alone. We are holding it together. We're praying for Kiki, who is ill with COVID, very sick right now. You are not alone. We are holding it together. For those struggling with addiction, you are not alone. We are holding it together. For your father-in-law, you are not alone. We are holding it together. For those struggling with grief, you are not alone. We are holding it together. For your mother's mental health, you are not alone. We are holding it together. One more time, please. For Jamie, who left too early from this earth this last week, you are not alone. We are holding it together. 
for your grandmother who has breast cancer, you are not alone. We are holding it together. For everyone born to trauma, they cannot control. You are not alone. We are holding it together. For the spirit of service, for those souls invested in that spirit, you are not alone. We are holding it together. For alternatives to war, you are not alone. We are holding it together. For those managing relationships with aging parents, for the aging parents, for the circles around all of you, you are not alone. We are holding it together. And as we bear witness to the injustices that permeate our world, let us invoke the spirit of transformation. Let us pray that when we see inequality and discrimination, that the people will say, act, act. As our precious earth faces degradation and cries out for care, let the people say, preserve. Faced with conflict fueled by hatred and misunderstanding, let the people say, unite. Amid the rise of poverty ignored, by those in abundance, let the people say, give. Witnessing the rampant violation of basic human rights all over our world, let the people say, rise. Encountering falsities that further mire us in the quagmire of ignorance, let the people say, learn. For the weak and the vulnerable, let the people say, strength. And for all of us, for our hands, our eyes, our spirits to see the way to matter to the things, to the people who matter to us, let the people say, awaken. As we brave the tide of history, may we remember the power that lies right here in our hands, in the soles of our feet in our voices. And as we leave this moment of prayer, let us never give up looking for the ways that we can channel into love. May the people always say persist. May the people always say persist. May the people always say persist. Amen and blessed be. Sing with me. Spirit of love, come unto me.
May you, may we ever be a blessing to the world which has come to mean a blessing for us. So may it be. If you were in the sanctuary or joining us online last week, you heard me talk about this being the season of the year where we invite you to make a commitment of financial support to the church's operating budget for the coming year. I invited you to be sure to pick up your pledge packet downstairs in the social hall after the service. If you didn't grab one last week, good news, still time, still down there. And even better news, they are now electronic and online. If you go to firstuniversalistchurch.org slash annual dash giving, I think that's the right URL. On that page, there is a link where you can download the electronic version. And the last bit of good news about these pledge packets that I want to let you know is that if we have your name and address, actually even if we just have your address, and you happen to not pick up one, let's say you forget last week, and you forget this week, and you forget to go online and download it, we'll make sure you get one. <laughs> and at least one member of the church has threatened to hand deliver them is Janet here yet? No, Janet Merrill's not here yet. Janet Merrill will show up at your house with an envelope and an invitation to talk with her about your gift. And to help me move from logistics into an invitation, CT's gonna come up here and talk to us for a minute. Hello, my name is CT Neil Herman. I attend the church uh, with my daughter, Ollie, my son, Emil, and my ex-husband, Levi, also attends. And I wanted to talk a little bit about why I think it's important to give to First Universalists, whether it be time, talent, um, or treasure. And I want to tell a story about uh, how we ended up in Minnesota. So my ex-husband, Levi, and I were uh, married. We met and um, lived in Houston. And we attended a Unitarian Universalist church there. And when it became time in 2017 uh, for us to think about um, growing our family and where we wanted to live, um, we did a lot of soul searching and um, decided. And we used to say that Houston and Texas was, not, was probably not the place to raise our family, that we felt like it was a bad idea. In recent years, we have revised that to say that we knew it was not a good idea for our family to be there. Um, in the wake of recent legislation and, and uh, hate that I think we knew was there but did not think would become so prevalent so quickly. Um, but when we, we chose Minnesota because it was a welcoming and accepting place um, for queer and trans and whatever individuals um, we have found and when we had kids, we realized that we needed a place to give them, that they could go home, that they could feel comfortable in, that they could feel loved and supported. And this church became very apparent pretty quickly as a place where we could find community for them and where they could feel loved. And through the years, that has proven to be true. And my, our kids feel loved and accepted and excited every week to come here. And it's a place that I'm excited that they will have as their lens to view the world through. And I know that um, one of the things I really value about this congregation is the multi-generational aspect and that we can give our kids a sense of community here that we cannot give them almost anywhere else, at least surrounded by so much love. And um, I think at the end of the day, why I give now is for the families that I know that are still coming, that still need this church, that still um, might be in a place, in a, in a state where they need to come to Minnesota. They will come to Minnesota. There are members of this congregation that I've met across generations who have come here in the past few years seeking refuge. And we want this to be a place where people can continue to be loved and supported and um, can be their authentic selves in their nude pumps, um, especially in their nude pumps. So uh, that, that's, why, that's why I'm uh, increasing my pledge this year. That's why 
Um, I encourage everyone here to, to give in whatever way they can uh, in the coming years so that we can keep First Universalist a place uh, that accepted us and loved us uh, just the way it did when we uh, came. So thank you. Thanks so much, CT. In addition to the gifts that we are inviting you to give for next fiscal year that starts July 1, you may recall last week I invited you into a little bit of a competition with the second service. So what I want you to know is that two weeks ago, we had a budget gap, a giving gap, of $260,000. Today, that giving gap is about $33,000. And that is because of you all. So here's the invitation for today, right? We need to close this gap. Here is the invitation for today. If you made a gift last week toward closing this gap, that's what the baskets are about. So if you need the basket to come on back, just raise your hand. One of the ushers will bring it back. If you made a gift last week, thank you. If you have the capacity to make another one, please do. It seems like we're collecting about $10,000 every Sunday, so we can do this three or four more times. Here's my invitation. Call someone who's not here and tell them that they need to join you in giving to close this so that we can put this aside and focus on next year. With that invitation, I invite you to give as generously as you're able. I wasn't joking, if you want the basket to come back around, just raise your hand, it will.
Our reading this morning is from the prophet and the poet, Gwendolyn Brooks. The poem is called Paul Robeson. That time, we all heard it, cool and clear, cutting across the hot grit of the day. The major voice, the adult voice, foregoing rolling river, foregoing tearful tale of bale and barge and other symptoms of an old despond, warning in music words devout and large that we are each other's harvest we are each other's business. We are each other's magnitude and bond. May the words of my mouth speak in the channel of my ancestry as I offer these words dedicated to my grandfather, whose name was, is, will ever be Jerry Martin. But everyone called him Dean because he was the smartest man that anyone knew in the neighborhood. My grandfather Jerry, my grandfather Dean was a gardener and every morning of schooling. For the first eight years of my schooling, he would walk me to, from our home to uh, school. And across the street, he would dig in the patch of grass that was owned by the city. And he made it into a sprawling produce garden. I should say that I lived in inner city Baltimore where grass, depending on where you were, could be pretty hard to find. Produce was a no-go. But there, I learned in the middle of what people called the ghetto, I learned what a carrot was and where it came from. I learned that mysterious, beautiful truth that comes when you take your own vegetable from the ground Look at what happened. My grandfather taught me how to be a man. He taught me how to imagine manhood. He taught me to love the look and flow of a big dress. He did not know how influential that would actually become. <laughs> or maybe he did. To all of the men on this particular day who forge the channel of the image of masculinity and manhood in healthy ways, God bless you. On this day, he would be very proud of me for offering you the message for a couple reasons. One, because the first two books he ever gave me were the first two books I ever owned, and they were these. They were a Latin to English dictionary. I was four. <laughs> but I'm fluent in Latin now. A Latin to English dictionary and, uh, and a memoir of a cellular biologist. I was five. Yeah, but he saw something that I didn't see, and that's that's what an elder can do when an elder is doing what an elder does. The other reason he'd be proud is because on this Super Bowl Sunday, I'm standing up before you and my proudest award, my proudest award in my sports career is from Little League Baseball. I was named unofficially cleanest uniform. 
But here we go. Because we're here to talk about what society offers us in the way of teaching and wisdom when it comes to how to be a man. Every day, dear ones, we are finding ourselves at the crossroads of societal expectation and human connection. This intersection grows ever intricate and intimate in the midst of our digital interactions. And if you think that because you don't identify as male that it doesn't affect you, know that it affects us all, this crossroads. Imagine a space which for several of us requires no imagining at all, a network truly global in its reach, right in your pocket, a digital world intended to spark connections, intended to harvest friendships, intended to cultivate relationships, call it social networking, online dating, call it a dispatch for Netflix and chill, call it whatever you want. Just just know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, ask a neighbor who laughed. In such an expanse, I found myself swimming upstream, buoyed by the prospect of connection. And suddenly I was not hit with a wave of camaraderie when I opened my phone, but a storm of prejudice. An undercurrent carrying a racial insult swept forward under the deceptive guise of a compliment. Now, y'all, I'm, I'm bringing this to church, so I need, you to, I need you to stay with me. I am not alone. We are holding this together. I opened up my phone, and on the online dating, anybody do any online dating? You can admit it. Okay, all right, cool. We should start a club. We'll start a, a book circle. You expect in this world that we're making connections to hear niceties, to hear flirtations. My grandfather taught me how to date, so I was expecting somebody to get reservations, and instead what I got was a racial insult that someone meant as a compliment. Breathe, stay with me. I'm not sharing this story to ignite fires of resentment or to lay blame at specific feet. I'm not telling this tale to the white people I know to shame the white people I don't. That's not what this is about, and that's not what my stories are for. Look around us. We assemble as a radiant spectrum of humanity. Revenge is not our path. Our journey is defined by grace, resilience, and elegance. Rather than a call to resentment, consider this a call for acknowledgment. It's a tale spun not of isolated human errors, but a reflection of our collective missteps. This narrative is woven of missed connections, of scrambled signals of vulnerability. It throbs with our shared humanity longing for love and acceptance. Think about vulnerability for a moment. Seen from society's lens, it's often equated with weakness. But isn't vulnerability instead radiant with courage, vibrant with authenticity, pulsing and alive with the universal quest for love? Yet a persistent, veiled choice underpins the fast-paced rhythm of our lives, a choice that often operates in the shadows, unseen and yet decisively consequential. Without our conscious realization, it nudges us toward dissonance. It influences us to choose solitude over connections, to favor illusions of strength over authenticity of shared vulnerability. Enmeshed in the thunderous drums of capitalist and consumerist echoes, we can unknowingly lean toward these ideals building facades of strength while neglecting the potent power of our shared human bond. Such is the astounding subtlety of this choice, this understated influencer, that it often makes its call hushed by societal murmurs, unnoticed in every passing moment, yet it leaves an impact, steering us towards a projected strength 
a dawning facade erected on the foundations of concealed vulnerability. It's crucial then, it's crucial then, friends, to reclaim our power in this subtle dance of choices, to illuminate this silent operator acting beneath our collected consciousness. True strength, as we've voyaged through our shared exploration, unfurls from the noble courage inherent in choosing connection, vulnerability, and authenticity amidst the clamor of the demanding world. This is our shared path to tread, our collective journey towards the profound strength and resilience embedded in our shared humanity. Might we dare join hands on this shared journey? Digital, tangible. Might we let down the illusory walls to bear our tender heartbeats, celebrate our shared vulnerabilities, our authentic human connections? We are but notes in the grand symphony of life, our shared existence. And through our harmonic efforts, we create a narrative that reverberates across the globe, a testament to our shared humanity. The call we hear today, the call we hear today may not be interpretable as a command, but rather as a gentle melody. Is this not the subtle call toward authenticity with each other? towards courage, towards love. As we awaken to the echoes of our roots, we find ourselves on the precipice of a profound choice. Can we, consciously, can we not consciously choose to untangle these ancestral binds and in that awakened moment attune our hearts to sing of grace? The question for us today is, can we do this delicate work of awakening? Can we not only pledge to consciously choose loving actions, but also vow to halt those reflexive habits that have been set into motion for generations? As we soak in these thoughts, as we prepare ourselves for the day to come, may this spirit draw us ever forward. Let us awaken and consciously untangle the knots of generations, tuning our hearts to the deep, resonant melody of grace. May this awaken a rippling outward from each of us. May it form the orchestra of transformation that shapes a culture, a world, pulsing with authentic love. So, dear ones, if the call tonight comes from a referee, this morning it comes from a reverend. Join us in rewriting the melody of masculinity. Let your voice be heard and your influence felt. Strike a note for change. Redefine the individual narratives, workspaces, social groups, gatherings, online and offline. These platforms are fertile grounds for spurring dialogues that challenge dominant norms and fuel conversations of transformation. Let's retool our personal spaces into harbors of transformation, in discussions at dinner tables, casual coffee chats. Let's choose to speak about our emotions, today especially. Our vulnerabilities, our challenges, it's an opportunity to untangle the knots that traditional masculinity and of traditional masculinity and weave a narrative imbued with grace. Together, we can usher in a new story, a serenade for the world desperately in need of a tough love that looks like compassion, grace. May it ever be so. May it always be so. May it be so already. Amen. Will you sing with me? Though I 
at the crossroads of expectancy and connection. Pledge to reach for the shared vulnerability. Infuse our shared melody with purposeful, conscious, and loving actions. Against bias and division, ring the chime of unity, understanding, and authenticity. We go out into a world now with grace pledging to choose loving actions over established habits. Go forth today. Go forth with the call of transformation, conversation by conversation, shared moment by shared moment. We move closer to a world resounding with love, authenticity, and resilience. Salom, salam, shanti, ashe, peace, and amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, and together we give, receive, and grow in the universalist spirit of love and hope. To learn more about who we are and our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.